Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner, Evan Preparis. I don't have Brennan on the line with me, but I have another Strength and Speed athlete. We're going to introduce him in a minute. First, before we get to that, a quick word from our sponsors. So this episode is brought to you by Squirrel's Nut Butter. If you're planning on running CTG Continuum, if you're planning on running Toughest Mudder, or if you've got some long aerobic runs trained, you definitely want to pick up some Squirrel's Nut Butter. So it's an anti-chafing product. Just smear it down any place you feel like you might chafe, and it works great. I've had the both the tub and the deodorant-like stick. I recommend the deodorant-like stick over the tub, personally. They also do have some other creams and stuff like that, so they have uh, ones for your hands in case your hands get all kind of start cracking and get messed up from all the climbing and retraining you're doing. And they also have one for your feet that uh, I have not used, but I believe some of the ladies on the Conquer the Gauntlet Pro team have used it. So if you want to know more about them, you can check out their website, squirrelsnutbutter.com, or you can ask some of the Conquer the Gauntlet Pro teams. They'll have some suggestions for you. All right, let's get to the show. So joining me, I have Casey Johnson. Casey, say hello. Hey, what's up, everybody? Yeah. So what I, I'm excited to have you on because uh, although you kind of have like one foot dipped in the OCR pool there. You have a really interesting background that includes uh, mixed martial arts, uh, uh, both competitively and professionally. And then you also do some tr- CrossFit and some trail races and stuff like that. As far as OCR goes, Savage Race Charlotte last year finished 17th Elite. Legend OCR, a local North Carolina race, which I believe they did their last year this year. Uh, last year you finished second as an elite male. Uh, Savage Race Maryland... Uh, fourth in age group, 30 to 34, and then uh, Reindeer Dash for Cash, 5K, 10th overall, first age group, first team. And then also you had a race this morning. How did that go? The race this morning was epic. It was my first cross-country 5K and uh, placed first overall. Awesome. Everything just kind of came together, kind of flowed, so I'm stoked on it. Cool. We'll get into your training now and how it has changed, but let's go back to mixed martial arts and wrestling and stuff like that. So how did that start? Okay, so mixed martial arts wrestling is my background. I started wrestling uh, 69 pounds was my first tournament, weight class. Uh, My dad was heavy into it, so naturally um, I – kind of obligated and um but i loved it started wrestling and uh that progressed into brazilian jiu-jitsu in high school uh took up boxing and eventually got into mma brazilian jiu-jitsu wrestling is a lot of since you know striking and then it goes to you know like how did you make that leap into uh it's kind of where my passion lied even though i had a grappling background. I just really wanted to to strike, and uh, it was a really good boxing program. I had a buddy in high school, got me in the door, fell in love with it, and uh, yeah, progressed into better schools and better schools. And uh, I just wanted to fight. 
So from the time you let's graduated high school to the time you started uh, full contact MMA, how how much of a gap is that? High school. Okay, so in high school, I was just training, and then I moved to Greenville, North Carolina, for college. Followed a girl out here, and they had a really good MMA school. Got my foot in the door. We had a great group of guys, and we all started fighting around the same time. Um, it was all local amateur circuit stuff, and yeah, did pretty well. Cool. Well, I'm excited to see where this conversation takes us because I always, when I use talk about OCR training, sometimes I compare it to MMA because you need such a wide variety of skills. Although no one's punching me in the face while I'm trying to do obstacles, which I'm pretty happy about. You're getting so, kicked in the legs instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you decide to, you know, you started training at an MMA school. Um, I guess you uh, talk about the process to, you know, going from entering MMA into turning pro and then kind of take us through your first couple fights. First couple fights went really well in the amateur division division um i ended up i ended up 11 to no or 11 to 1 i'm sorry and uh, i got a job offer to manage a uh a local restaurant and right around that time i had my first kid so my thought process was you know i gotta provide gotta provide and uh fortunately i had a guy good family friend of mine who said he would manage me he had a little bit of experience in that department he said you should go pro and we booked a pro fight he booked a pro fight for me which would cover about a month's pay of all my bills and what I needed and yeah I made a move to Raleigh to train full-time and had my first pro fight probably the most memorable fight that I have. It was local. It was in Raleigh. Um, the crowd was ferocious on my behalf. Um, it was a sea of black full-speed shirts, and I ended up coming out with a first-round knockout win. And as you can imagine, you know, winning, the feeling is similar to winning an OCR race. It's just intoxicating. Right, right. And uh, yeah, so kept training full time and fought fought about once every month or once every other month. Um, financially, that's what it what it took. And uh, yeah, just progressed from there. That's that's how it all began. The pro stuff. Do you think that uh, once a month is pretty normal, or is that that seems like a well? I guess I, I guess it really depends on how long and how hard the fight is. Um, For sure. The fights usually take the, – the fights aren't that bad, actually. You don't take – you know, you might need a, a few days or a week to recover if you, if you get hurt. But mostly it's the training. That's the grind. The training is it's, – it's pretty brutal. And uh, back then I wasn't training really smart. Smart as – you know, I, I sparred all the time, and it was physically expensive. And uh, I think if I would have dialed back the training a little bit, then I would have I would have had a little longer of an MMA career. Um, but yeah, once a month is probably too much in retrospect. 
I would say once every three, four months would be more ideal. But financially, that was, it wouldn't have worked for me starting out. So I had to fight every month. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now take us through a week in your training. I think you said you did change something. So take us through like a normal week in your training. And then if you could go back and do it again, you know, what would your training look like kind of now, now that you're a little bit older, a little bit wiser? Yeah, for sure. Good question. So training was 10 a.m. fighter training. It was about two hours. And that's where we did a lot of our sparring, a lot of our, a lot of our specific training in, as far as combat related um, training went. Uh, so a lot of sparring and a lot of hitting and getting hit. And yeah, we would eat lunch, go home, get a nap, come back, and then at night would be three to four hours of technical training. Um, and then on the weekends, we kind of had our, our open mats and our free time where we all got together and just the fighters collaborated on different things and worked on weaknesses. And so it was, it was pretty busy. In retrospect, I think at least two days of rest would be required. So on our rest days, we ended up training just because it was uh, kind of felt obligated you know, when it was my full-time job. So not training was not going to work in my mind. Um, and so now I, I really value rest and recovery a lot more. So I would focus on that uh, a lot more, the rest and recovery. Gotcha. Any specific cardio or weight training mixed in there? Oh, yeah. So we did a lot of sprints. Um, a lot of short distance explosive stuff. And then as far as the weightlifting, it was mostly calisthenics. We didn't, a coach didn't want to put too much weightlifting on us because the whole name of the game is cutting weight. You want to be as light as possible to be competitive in that weight class. So I fought at 135 and 145, sometimes 155. And when I was fighting at 135, I would be walking around at 157. So I'd have to cut weight. And then Weight training on top of that, um, office, obviously, you got some DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness, and that will postpone the next day's training or break or cut it short. Um, so not a lot of strength training as far as weights or, you know, the, um, the, the fundamental stuff that you would see, but yeah. a lot of calisthenics were involved moving your own body weight around just was important. Yeah, backing up a little to the recovery, yeah, it's absolutely a good idea to recover. Um, there's a book called Peak Performance, a very good book that talks about basically any sort of, not just physical activity, but even mental activity. Like the best way to improve is, you know, high periods of stress followed by recovery. High periods of stress followed by recovery, right? So like without those recovery periods, you're not consolidating your gains um, to kind of to kind of build that up. So if anyone's looking for a good audio book or a good written book, Peak Performance. Um, I'm going to have to check that out. Let me write that down. Yeah. Speaking of that book, they talk a lot about mindset in that book also. Going into the ring and having someone punch at your face, probably not the 
the best feeling while you're getting hit, but like talk, take me through the mindset you have, you know, going into a match. Yeah, so the mindset is is was a big aspect. It um, kind of the fights are won and lost with your mindset, in my opinion. Um, I think you you pretty much can win before you even step in, and that comes from confidence in your training and knowing you you've done everything you could, and when you don't, mindset's a little off, and sometimes uh, you know you, you lose the fight before it even began. But going in mentally, we suffered on a day-to-day basis in training, so the fight was usually the easy part. Um, it's obviously nerve-wracking. Is probably this is probably the same. I would say before uh, a big race, you know, there's still that that nervous excitement, and but as soon as you step in, like as soon as you start running, or as soon as you step in the cage, it all it all just comes together, and you start to flow, and uh, it becomes easy. Yeah, I'd imagine you're once you're kind of in the moment, your training kind of takes over, and you start going through the motions like you've been practicing and stuff like that. Yeah, you realize it's only one other guy in there, and uh, not a not a whole bunch of people. You only you only got to fight one guy. So, yeah, that it's it, it becomes uh, a little bit more. The storm subsides, so to speak. So while you're in the match and things start going poorly, did you ever have any instances where you know it it was not looking good, and then you kind of turned it around? Can you take us through a situation like that and kind of what was going through your mind? Yeah, that's the the story of my life. Um, I'm a slow I'm a slow starter, and uh, I don't know if it's because, well, uh, maybe maybe I understand that you know three or five rounds is a long time, and uh, I've been blown up way too early, way too often. So I, I usually start slow and get beat up for a little while, and. Uh, you know, it, it, then then the switch turns on uh, later in, in round one, and uh, yeah, I usually come back. And uh, as soon as I, as soon as I would feel their, uh, as soon as they would get winded, and I would feel they're getting tired, or I would I would land a couple good shots, or I would gain momentum, I, I just I fed off of that, and. Uh, it's actually similar with similar with racing. You, know, you start start passing people and you build that momentum. Yeah. And then you you see that number one guy up there and uh, yeah, the confidence boost. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, so when me and Brennan went to the race in Kuwait uh, a couple what was it now it's like a little over a month ago. I mean, congratulations, by the way, on on uh, your number one pitch. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was it was huge for me, especially that that distance is not my specialty. But you know, once I like knew I was in first, I could like essentially dig deeper because I was like, I could I could feel the I could feel the victory, right? Like I could I could push myself harder, and I was sore. <laughs> I mean, that that race was nothing. I mean, it was, it was like one climb, and then there was a bunch of sand running, and then like a couple of little ups and downs. But I was sore for like four days from it. It was preposterous. Um, so, yeah, so my- how often, how often are you looking back to to see to gauge the distance of who's behind you? I usually don't look back at all because I think that's uh, I think it transmits a sign of weakness and a sign of worry. 
So the only time I look back is if it's a natural look back. So if I'm on an obstacle and I happen to like climb down the opposite side and I can see, and I, I use that, or in this case on one of the, the course actually like looped you know, by itself again. So I actually got a second uh, good look uh, later on, and that was when I found out there was a girl. <laughs> the, guy in, the guy in second place and the first female who was like the Kuwaiti 10K champion were running. Like, they were like a minute behind me. I was like, what the? I was like, I didn't fly across the world to get chicked, so uh, I laid, <laughs> laid it down a little bit harder. To, uh, but yeah, I typically don't look back, um, and because I think it, I think people who look when I know when I'm in trailing someone and they look back, I'm like, oh, you're worried. Now I got you. Like I, I think it's it it shows doubt in their mind. Ah, uh, oh yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, I felt that way today a little bit. Um, as soon as I took the lead, uh, I I just went. I think I looked back once or twice um, just because I've never won a race before. And uh, I wanted to do everything I could to win. So I wanted to kind of see how much leeway I had. And maybe that's a rookie mistake. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate that insight. Another great book called How Bad Do You Want It by Matt Fitzgerald, which I've talked about several times in this podcast. I can't recommend that one enough. Um, one of the tips they gave in there he goes through a lot of scenarios where he talks about, you know, here's an athlete, here's a situation, and here's kind of how it plays out. And, you know, he tells both bad stories and good stories and sometimes how things went from bad to good. And they always talk about really, you know, when you go into a race, you have the mindset of I'm going to go and make this hurt. I'm just going to be the able to one who's going to hurt the most and still come out on top. Versus if you go in with the mindset of, you know, like, you know, what's the bare minimum I need to do to win? Your body will perform like at a sub-maximal level um, because you've you've kind of set that tone in your mind. So I always, and ever since I, I read that and took that advice, I think I, I race better because I'll go in and I'll be like, oh, we're going to, it's going to hurt today, boys, right? Like I'm going to put myself into, a, you know, so much pain that no one else will be able to hang on, whether that be endurance or, you know, short course sprint type stuff. So. I'm going to die way harder than that guy. Yeah. It's like, uh, it, it's like, don't pray for an easy race. Pray for the strength to to win a hard one. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. I like that. Okay, how bad do you want it? Check that. Another good one. Now your mixed martial arts record was five and five professionally. Yeah. What made you decide to stop fighting? A couple injuries. I have a. I have a lot of scar tissue on my on my cornea and my eyes um, have suffered a lot of damage so I can't take punches anymore to the face which is kind of the whole premise of the game right um, obviously a couple surgeries could could improve that I had uh, a labrum issue in my right shoulder um, a couple knee issues started coming up and with kids in the picture I decided that this is not not feasible it's, or it's um, uh, it, it goes against the longevity part of what I believe in as far as training and competing. So, yeah, I had to put it down. I miss it all the time. And how many months or years did you end up fighting total? Uh, maybe five total. Um, maybe four, four or five years. Okay. That's a pretty good – I think that's a pretty good run. What's the – 
what would you say the average, you know, out of out of the guys you were training with, what's the average kind of career length for uh, those guys? Oh, man, I feel like everybody's still fighting. All my friends really? are still, Yeah, I just got a, I, I got the short straw. Um, yeah, I got a couple buddies that I were training with regularly who I feel like I was might have had a little more talent and uh, a little more drive and uh but they just had they just had the luck they had the health and now you know they're far better than i was so yeah because i mean they've built up so many repetitions and so much consistency over you know significantly longer period you're i think you're naturally going to kind of rise just avoiding that injury which i think we're seeing it all the time in ocr now with people getting injured and uh cutting their uh, careers short or shorter than they would like per se what do you think is the main cause of that i think it's just you know i think it's tied to the personality you know if you if you get a population of people who are always pushing the limits both in speed and training you know and it it turns into this more is always better a lot of the times you know people are going to constantly push themselves you know and if you you know you play russian roulette enough times eventually you're going to lose right like you keep pushing yourself. Eventually, you're going to hurt something. Um, but you know, I, I don't think you can. I don't think you can really separate those personality traits per se. You know, the competitive drive and the uh, you know propensity for injury. I think will always be correlated. Not necessarily like, oh, if you're a hard trainer, you'll absolutely get injured. But you know, I think there's a there's definitely a correlation there. Versus, you know, the guy who runs you know once or twice a week and is you know, goes out there and does his best on race day, but um, is not is not putting in the same training volume and training training intensity that the guy trying to win the series, like the national series, is. is it's just going to be the way it is. Yeah, and then in the and then an overcompensation of that is later on down the road, you might you might end up playing it too safe because of your experience with that. True. And, uh, yeah. So I guess finding that balance is key because now. I'm approaching OCR and racing with a much different mindset, uh, more focused, more focused on recovery and uh, technique. I'm trying to learn how to run correctly, which has always been, I never knew you could run incorrectly. Yeah. Um, and uh, so instead of signing up for a marathon and, and just going for it, um, I want to make sure I have a, a 10K and a half marathon with good form first. Right. That sounds like a good plan. And I'll say the other kind of caveat to the OCR injury thing is the sport, I'd say in general, is somewhat riskier than running on a road, right? I mean, you're people are bombing down these mountains, you know, running pretty fast, and it's pretty easy to trip and fall and hurt yourself. And then on top of that, you're swinging from your arms and your arms are in all sorts of weird positions, right? And if you fall off a rig, you know, we've, I've seen guys fall off a rig with, but their feet are still, you know, locked onto a rope and you land on your shoulder, break your collarbone, right? Uh, uh, that was Kevin Jones from the Crazy Mudder Muckers a couple years ago when Battlefrog was around. I've seen, you know, Brenna basically stepped in a soft spot on, during a different Battlefrog and um, messed up her knee, or I think it was her knee. She'll she'll correct me later, but um, the during the again during I don't know why they, all these all these are battle frog stories, <laughs> but um, 
Claude Godboot jumped off one of the obstacles at the Battle Frog, uh, the short course one, the one they had on TV for about a year or two. And, he jumped uh, off? Uh, say again? He jumped off? So uh, female, so she jumped off one of the obstacles. They had these like big obstacles, and the, the ground was all sand. And uh, when she landed, uh, again, hurt her leg and basically hasn't really come back full form to the sport uh, since then. So It's tough. Yeah, I think OCR is definitely not the sport for anybody who's clumsy or maladroit in any sense. Got to be cut from a different cloth. Yeah, yeah. But even even then, I mean, accidents obviously still happen because uh, you're under serious fatigue all the time. Everything is, you know, you can hit an obstacle a hundred times perfectly in training, but under that kind of fatigue mile six you know hey. yeah your 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 hands are wet you're tired um and same you know you get into ultra distance now you're sleepy tired um and you're i i notice when i go do ultra ocr my grip strength goes from like i have 100 percent capability down to zero like very rapidly whereas in a normal ocr if, like I, I can feel the fatigue setting in s- slower um, versus ultra OCR. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, I totally got this. And then I'll be like, oh, wait, no, I don't. And then I'm on the ground, you know, because it. And it's it's so disheartening because you're like, oh, come on, forearms, pull yourself together. I got this. Yeah. I know I have this, but they just, when they go, they go. Um, what do you do for grip training? So, I mean, there's a lot of different things. I use I use Harbinger fat grips, so they're like rubber sleeves you put over your weights. Um, so I still do a lot of um, strength training via weights because I like them that they're progressive. Uh, you know, it's easy to add pounds versus uh, body weight training. You know, eventually you start hitting rep counts that become uh, fairly high, and I think the weight training mimics a lot of the uh, OCR training, as in. When I'm doing an obstacle, I'm putting out near max effort for somewhere between five and forty seconds at the most, and I think weight training simulates that pretty good. Um, but I adjust it slightly, so I use fat grips, those uh, rubber sleeves that go over the bars, and then I also use atomic climbing holds. I take them and I essentially replace anything in the gym that has a pulley on it with an atomic climbing hold, like a nunchuck or a, they have ice cream cones and bananas and all sorts of stuff. So I've seen a couple of things that you've posted on Facebook about, or uh, uh, just some pictures with a lot of the grip stuff and the obstacle stuff, and it looks looks top notch. Yeah, they're they're really nice products, and I mean, I've dropped them from heights that I should not drop them from, um, both accidentally and purposefully, <laughs> and they all look basically brand new, minus a little bit of dirt on them. So nice, solid manufacturing. Yeah, absolutely. So you work, or so you do OCR full time. What do you, what do you, uh, what would you say your your job is, or on the day to day? I know you have a couple of books out. Yeah, so I just started to turn an interview about me, but um, <laughs> so the I'm I still have a day job. I'm still in the army, so I'm still active duty. So I I still work nine to five. I just uh, am pretty efficient with my time. And I backload a lot of things. So I'll write a lot of articles when I'm free, and then I won't write any for a while. Or I'll write 
you know, large sections of a book when I'm free and then won't write for a while. Um, so it looks like I'm in some sense busier than I am. And I use, when I go on trips, I use uh, for work, I'll use like the time on the airplane or the time in my hotel room by myself. Um, some pretty introverted, especially as an endurance athlete. So, you know, when the other guys are going out and grabbing drinks and going out to dinner, I usually order my food in and sit behind a computer. Very exciting. Very exciting life of a athlete slash writer slash. Uh, right. Yeah, I know. Yesterday, last night, all my friends were going out and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm going to take this Epsom salt bath. I'm going to get hydrated and go to bed at nine o'clock. Yeah. The funny part is, as like I enjoy that lifestyle now, and you know when I occasionally like, every couple of months I'll go out with some friends, and I'm like, oh man, we're it's like 9 p.m. I'm like, oh, I gotta get back home. I, I should get to bed. I was like, I'm gonna have trouble waking up tomorrow. And, I shouldn't uh, be here. Yeah, like it starts stressing me out. Yeah, I'm supposed to be having a good time, and I'm like stressed out that I'm out like hanging out with people. So. That's so funny. I think I, I feel the same way. I uh, likewise, I I work a full time job. Um, we manufacture micronized and synthetic silica or silicone dioxide. And uh, I'm a supervisor out there. So my time, it's, it's pretty chill. It's pretty laid back as far as physical output. So that's good. But I have to really, really prioritize my sleep in order to train efficiently. Sleep is one of the biggest things that, that I used to miss out on that I took for granted and now I value it up there with, you know, training and um, eating and, and mindset and relationships and surroundings. It's, it's up there with all that. Yeah, absolutely. The sleep, I find it exponentially harder to get up if I don't get a solid night of sleep. You know, the, the thought of getting out of bed and running 10 miles suddenly becomes the bed suddenly becomes like a much better option. Um, you know, if you've only slept six hours the night before, so. Yeah. Do you got any sleep hacks? Um, I, my sponsor hammer nutrition has REM caps. So, uh, it's like melatonin, five HTP, some other, it's like basically a natural sleep aid. So I take that before I usually go to bed. Uh, if anyone wants to order some, uh, referral number two, four, zero, eight, eight, seven, we'll get you 15% off. You can find that link and that code all over my website. Other than that, I drink casein before I go to bed, so uh, slow digesting protein. Oh yeah, um, to both to re- rebuild muscle, and then if I'm under eating, I will actually wake up in the middle of the night because I'm hungry, and I find that when I take the casein shake, it keeps me full all night, and then I can sleep uh, sounder and more deeply through the whole night. When do you stop eating at night? Uh, we should have dinner around, I don't know, 6.30-ish. And then I have my casein shake at like 9 and I go to bed. So There you go. Um, I just started taking some CBD oil. Ah, yes. I don't – so I don't know much about it. I know – so Hammer Nutrition came out with a brand-new line of CBD supplements. Um, being in the Army, I don't think I'm allowed to take them. And I'm not going to risk the last the uh, last 15, 15 years of my career over something like that. So um, I have heard good things about them. Hammer Nutrition does do their research really well. And if they're promoting them, there's got to be some um, evidence that works, some clinical evidence that shows 
positive outcomes. I know currently in the media and, you know, in stores, it's like the wonder drug, right? Like it fixes everything. Oh, you got cancer, CBD oil. You got, you got an achy knee, rub some CBD oil on it, you know, like, but I was hoping to get one of them on the podcast or uh, Luke Labonte, our dietitian friend, uh, get him on the podcast to dive in a little bit more in depth because I know my subject uh, knowledge on on the topic is pretty uh, pretty shallow. Yeah, I get a lot of my information from Luke. He we actually live about two miles from each other. We train together all the time, and uh, he's definitely my go-to guy in all things diet related. Yeah, I think CBD's helped me a lot since I started taking it, um, I'm peevish and irritable in nature. So it helps me calm down, definitely get better sleep, which is the goal. Cool. What, uh, what you taking it? It was like pills or ointment. What do we, I, I think you can take it in like about a dozen different forms there. Yeah. Drops, under the, drops under the tongue. Okay. Pretty simple. Uh, I would like to get into some of the rubs for um, I heard the rubs are really good and then doing some electro stuff some some tens unit stuff on top of it helps it get into the muscle pretty good and helps for the recovery um, I do a lot of CrossFit now and my coach is uh, really knowledgeable so i just kind of take his word for it gotcha all right so let's talk about that transition so you decide to get out of mma you know where do you go next and how did you end up in uh where you are now finished mma i wanted to do less contact obviously not get hit in the face anymore because of my eyes and still was in love with jiu-jitsu gi brazilian jiu-jitsu no gi brazilian jiu-jitsu Gi is basically the pajamas that you wear. And uh, so I continued with that. I competed, kept competing, and um, I was teaching striking um, to pay for my, my jiu-jitsu at that gym. So I did that for about two or three more years after I stopped. And uh, yeah, and then but I just felt like every other day there was something injured uh, a finger or a, a shoulder or a knee or something just tweaked all the time and uh, yeah I kind of had that epiphany when in wakeboarding when I strained my ankle last summer um, it's like I don't know how to chill <laughs> so with wakeboarding it's like I just charge and charge and charge and go big until I get hurt. Or, you know, I, I just don't know how to not not go hard, I guess. Yeah, I think that's like what I was talking about earlier. I think it's tied to the competitiveness of athletes. And, I mean, it, you've proven you're a pretty good athlete, especially with the, uh, you know, the MMA career and um, your versatility now. So what would you consider yourself now? Are you a CrossFit guy? Are you an OCR guy? Are you just kind of a hybrid athlete? What's your, what do you consider yourself? I am an ecstatic, no-mind enthusiast, I guess. So anything where I can find flow, 
Um, just got into mountain biking. I want to start doing some more competitions in, in that. Really enjoy it. But anywhere, anything physical where I can just kind of find flow, you know, losing sense of time and sense of self, uh, just getting into, in, into the flow. Obviously, that it's going to be physical, you know. Nice. Yeah. I mean, sounds like a kind of healthy way to move forward. I think you've checked the block on the man card with your uh, pro MMA career. And, you know, just kind of enjoying yourself moving forward and staying healthy is, is a great, great option. Luke, Luke always preaches longevity. And uh, so I'm really inspired and in learning a lot by his philosophy and his, his take. Um, everything, every decision he makes in training and in competition is like, okay, how is this going to translate five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road? And I never thought like that. So really opened my eyes to training smart, training right, training specific, taking those days off, recovery, stretching, and uh, it's, it's pretty cool. It's kind of like a mentor, I guess, in that aspect. Yeah, again, love Luke, very smart, and definitely some good advice there, focusing on longevity. I know I do a lot of just easy aerobic training, and I think you know if you want to get faster – doing short intervals will make you faster quicker but i think you quickly peak hit your peak uh ceiling there and kind of stop progressing versus doing a lot of aerobic training it builds your aerobic base so huge that your aerobic pace eventually will be faster than some other guys um you know top speed so i've found that doing a lot of aerobic training over several years is the better way to success because you'll get faster in the long run it just it just takes a longer time um and then it also like we're talking about with longevity i think that's one of the reasons i have so few uh lower limb injuries because i've just been doing a lot of most of my run training is easy aerobic like i'm moving at paces that are completely unimpressive um you know getting passed by people all the time in training runs and it's just like eh, whatever um so the running group i train with you know i'm it's not like I'm burning the burning the street down, uh, staying ahead of everyone. I just kind of cruise at whatever I feel comfortable for that day. And a lot of times that'll change based on what I've done the previous day or I'm doing the next day. You know, I did a 20-miler on Friday last week, and then the next day I woke up for a 10-miler, and I was just like, I mean, slogging it out. Like, it was pitifully slow for me. You know, I was like, uh, just wanting the run to end, so... No. Yeah, you gotta you gotta kind of sideline your ego and and understand the bigger picture. Right. Yeah. And if I was concerned about my pace every day, I would, you know, the the value for me for endurance training is that back to back long run, right? Like I do a twenty mile and then I do a ten mile, or I do something something similar to that, where I'm I'm simulating a lot of the leg fatigue you'd get from an ultra marathon without the mind and the joint fatigue you'd get from just. Uh, kind of doing it all at once and then needing a week to recover uh, versus this you can essentially take a day or two to recover and continue training what kind of pace does that look like for you and potentially for me if i want to improve my aerobic base so uh, for me i so when i i haven't run a road marathon in a couple of years but when i pr'd my road marathon back in 2014 
my time was a 2.57, which comes out to like 6.52 minute miles for three hours, right? I, I run most of my runs at 8 to 8.30 pace, most of my aerobic runs. And I'm, I'm just, I'm very happy with that. I just slog it out and just put one foot in front of the other. The only time I really care about paces is if I'm doing intervals. So if I'm doing a short, you know, track workout or a one mile repeat workout, so lactic threshold, VO2 max type workout, then I pay attention to my pace and then pace is very important. But I mean, other than that, it's, um, should be able to talk, um, if you were running with someone and kind of should be able to feel comfortable and. Just uh, kind of put one foot in front of the other and keep moving. The it, it'll also depend on heart rate zones and stuff like that. So, uh, but just kind of give you the idea of. They say uh, a lot of the marathon training people say it's like a minute thirty to two minutes below slower than your I think marathon pace is your having, aerobic aerobic zone there. But having not done a marathon. I- I can't objectify those numbers yet. Okay. I mean, it, it's it's easy. It's 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 when you're running, you're probably like, this feels almost too easy. Like I could pretty much run forever. So basically, be able to talk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't be gasping for air between sentences, right? Like, and I'm not saying you should be able to talk nonstop without taking a breath, but um, you know, say a sentence or two. You know, take a deep breath, repeat type stuff. Cool. That helps a lot. Get on some, get on some chill runs. So I, you, I noticed you also did the legend race. Now I have a new book that was just opened for pre-order. By the time this podcast comes out, it should start to be getting hard copies in hand. Uh, called Mud Run Guides OCR Bucket List. So it's got reviews of basically every race. I want to say every race. A lot of the popular races and things people can do that have been in the sport for a while that maybe want to try something new. Uh, they want to try a different series. They want to try a small venue. They want to try you know, something challenging like trying to keep your band at one of these harder races like Conquer the Gauntlet, Goliathon, uh, stuff like that. And Legend Race is actually in the book, and in that chapter was – or that section, rather, was written by Luke Labonte. So – as someone who's done Legend Race, can you give us some highlights from it? Oh, absolutely. Legend Race is definitely my favorite race that I've done. Obviously, I haven't done uh, a whole lot of them, but the favorite, my, my, uh, my favorite one that I've done so far. It's real fast. It's, uh, the trails are really well marked. Every route is highlighted. Um, the trail is really clean through the woods. Um, the obstacles are some, they're all unique, built by Fred. Uh, friends, Fred is actually a friend of my dad's. And uh, the obstacles are really tough, different. And yeah, it's just a great race. One of my favorite, definitely my favorite race. Any specific obstacles that kind of stand out, their signature ones? Yeah, there's a. Uh... There's a monkey bar section that's like four different sections put together, and it's really long. Um, they have cargo nets, thin ropes. Um, there's there's one where you have to uh, you have to go lateral on 
cylinders and uh, a couple balance beams. Oh, my favorite one is a, they're like baseballs and softballs cut in half and drilled into a, a piece of wood. And then you have to scale them all upper body. So it's super technical. Oh, nice. nice. Sounds, Sounds like a good one. one. Yeah, Fred said he's going to make this next one, April 13th, um, even harder. So I'm looking forward to that. And obviously, it's only a 5K race, so you want to go fast. And then approaching these technical obstacles with an elevated heart rate provides an interesting dynamic that I'm intrigued by. Yeah, love it. What, um, what, what races do you recommend... Uh, I just got into OCR in 2017, and, uh, and and now I'm hooked. I drink the Kool Aid. Yeah, it's good Kool Aid. Keep drinking. What, what, what kind of what kind of races do you recommend? And, uh, and and can we run one together? We should get a strength and speed team, um, and try to get everybody in on a race sometime this year. That would be cool. Uh, we'll have to check schedules and kind of try to figure out one that's a little more centrally located. The strength and speed guys are located basically all across the country from, you know, Northeast into the Midwest over North Carolina, Texas, like a little bit everywhere. Um, it really, what I think is awesome about obstacle course racing is just the variety, right? So it really gonna, is going to be depending on what you personally like, right? Like the years, you know, there's options for if you want to do all running and no technical obstacles, like Warrior Dash, right, is perfect. It's, it's basically impossible to fail things. Um, if you want to go super long, you know, Toughest Mudder, World's Toughest Mudder, those are kind of my bread and butter. That's where I like to operate in. Um, you know, Spartan Race, obviously the biggest series, I would say, in the U.S. as of 2019. Um, you know, with the, I'd say the most competition is there. Uh, it's also, you know, the fastest runners are there, but I would also say they're obst- like for me personally, I'm not a huge fan of their obstacles. There, it's a lot of heavy carries, um, not a whole lot of technical obstacles. I mean, they do have a rig, but um, from it's usually pretty easy in my opinion. Versus conquer the gauntlet is a lot more, you know, technical obstacles. Well, um, I love the technical stuff. I don't care too much for bucket carries or sandbag carries or um, stuff like that. Definitely interested in the technical obstacles. Based on where you are, I mean, Savage Race has a pretty good presence in the, you know, driving distance from you. So I would definitely hit them up. I think they're they're just a phenomenal race series. And I know you've done a couple of those and done well. Um, but, you know, I, you kind of inadvertently set me up for it but again i'm gonna plug my the new book uh motor and guides ultimate ocr bucket list i think you know that book especially whether you're new to the sport or been around for a while it's just got a lot of good ideas and a lot of comparisons of different brands so you can kind of find what you're looking for um i'm gonna pick up a mud run guide some squirrel nut butter <laughs> uh, peak performance and how bad do you want it it's good. I'm just 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 selling you things nonstop in this podcast. Not really, not really. This is supposed to be what we're doing, but that's fine. Those are all good recommendations. I stand by all that stuff. No, that helps a lot. I I really appreciate it. All right, before we let you go, uh, any anything else you want to give a shout out to friends, families, etc., stuff like that. 
Yeah, um, for sure. I wanted to definitely thank you and uh, and everybody in the development team for just providing value to everybody else. You know, obviously we all uh, can take something away from one another and then being able to contribute those ideas and knowledge and, and tips uh, just help everybody else grow exponentially quicker. So I'm grateful for the value. Thanks for setting that up and having me a part of the team. Uh, no problem. Yeah, it's great to have you. And I love, again, I love the diversity that everyone brings. Um, we talked about it a lot on the last podcast with Kelly, but just like the number of certifications and qualifications, like professional level um, stuff in there is just huge. And then on top of that, you get a bunch of athletes like you, you know, pro mixed martial arts, you get pro obstacle course racers. We got, you know, ultra marathoners, just the kind of a wide mix of people in there um, really brings a... Um, you know, whatever, you know, like you said, you're looking for basically any place you can find flow. Um, there's just a wide variety of people who've done triathlons and marathons and trail races and all, all that stuff in there. Um, provides a good, pretty good resource. So, Yeah, Na- Napoleon Hill calls it the Mastermind Alliance where a bunch of people work together for the perfect harmony for the same goal. And uh, I think that's what, what, what we got here. Nice, I like it. And again, not to just sell people sell people things for the entire length of the podcast, but uh, if anyone wants to join the Strength and Speed Development Team, you can go to the website and there's a uh, sent you a pay for option. I was doing it kind of like a monthly plan, uh, but I just switched it and put it just basically a single essentially paywall that you can essentially pay to get in. Other than that, we do do applications uh, in December of every year. Um, so if you want to wait a year, you can. Or you can just kind of pay and circumvent the whole application process. Yeah, and, and being a part of that, uh, I definitely recommend it for anybody. It's a huge value, for sure. Awesome. Thanks again. Uh, I think I've plugged enough random things already, so I'm not going to give any final shout-outs. Uh, we don't – usually we, we have three people on the podcast. We usually do like a little tell something – tell us something about you that people – uh, wouldn't expect. Um, I think you, you've got a pretty interesting background, so I'm kind of I'm gonna ask the question anyway. So, tell the audience something about you that people would be surprised to know. And I did not prep you for this question, so that's my bad. I I like magic tricks and lock picking. Oh, interesting. Are we talking magic tricks as in like sleight of hand, like you doing them, or going to see Chris Angel in Las Vegas? <laughs> like just just uh uh just the street card tricks okay so like but you doing them personally or like watching david blaine you know oh yeah performing them for sure okay gotcha so you're a magician you've like amateur magician to your list of resume I'll, and lock picking lock picking is fun uh it is fairly challenging i'm not very good at it but i have a basic i have a basic knowledge of that stuff yeah, I'm, I'm, I have I struggle with my patience, so I employed it to practice being patient. I'm much better at just opening doors. Uh, basically, take a credit card and you swipe the uh, you swipe the lock. That's that's a super useful skill that I've used more times than I I can count. Um, my door is so old; it, it works on my door. <laughs> 
you probably need probably need new locks there. I know, right? Um, so I'll share since it came up. Um, I'll share a couple things that people don't know. One, uh, Chris Angel's family that he grew up with went to my church in uh, Hempstead, New York. So I've actually seen him in church. He doesn't go there now because obviously he lives in Las Vegas. But uh, yeah, his actual family, he's, he's Greek. His actual family goes to the same church that I grew up in. So that's kind of interesting. He came and did like a magic trick show uh, for on Sunday one day after Sunday school, which is kind of weird because he, he hadn't quite hit it as big as he is now, but he was already a pretty big name. So that's kind of interesting. And then... Uh, yeah, other than that, you know, we uh, I definitely use some lock picking stuff I picked up from just from reading books and from shopping around on some uh, knife oriented websites. Uh, when I went to Iraq a couple times, we found some pretty good stuff, a bunch of mortars and stuff like that in the trunks of cars. That uh, thanks to a website and stuff like that, we we figured out how to open car doors with uh, no damage to the vehicle. So it's a pretty good deal. I locked my keys in the car the other day. It's, it's very beneficial. <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice. All right, we're, we're going to let you go. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, it was great talking to you, and hopefully we can get together for a big strength and speed run at some point uh, later this year or next year. Evan, thank you so much. Great to talk to you. Keep in touch. Wish you the best, brother. All right, I'll catch you later. Later.